Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Hey, I'm so thankful for you choosing to spend your just Sunday morning with us here at City on Hill Bellevue. As, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, Pastor Yuri is still out of town. He is celebrating his daughter's birthday with their parents. Um, so he couldn't be here, so you're stuck with me for another week. Um, last week we talked about Gideon, and as you know, we're going through a series called Ryan, uh, Running rather, with the Giants, and looking at the stories and the people in the Old Testament, and to see the life lessons that we get to learn from them, but also understand that they're not perfect. Understand that a lot of them were just like us, broken, but they served an amazing God. You know, they weren't really great people. They were just people in the hands of a great God. And, and that's what's so amazing about their stories. Now, if you look in the, uh, we've been going through the Hebrews chapter 11, uh, literally, where we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of like if you've ever p- played sports, especially if you did basketball, for example, there is what's called the Hall of Fame, right? Like where you walk through the high school um, or the Hall of Fame of your high school, and you're like, oh, this guy graduated, and he was so good, and this and that. Well, in faith, Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Faith, okay? This is where it, there's a lot of people that are mentioned the stand as a great cloud of witnesses, as we see in chapter 12. So I'm going to read that uh, really quick, that passage in chapter 12. As we start, it says this, um, verse 1. says, therefore, so by the way, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, some preacher said that I love when people open the Bible and you can hear like the, you know, the, the papers. I'm okay with, you know, having your, your, the warmth of your iPhone glow. You know, it, it's fine as long as you're not on Facebook. And if you are, Lord Jesus, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> make sure, uh, make sure you are on the Bible app. Um, but Hebrews 12 uh, says this: Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great or a uh, huge crowd of witnesses um, to the little uh, life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated the perf- uh, and, and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary in giving up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So, Pastor Andrew, you didn't take two minutes of my time. You're just starting my message. Um, you know, and thank you so much for that. I think that just leads into to this amazing thing that is told us here that regardless of what you're going through in this moment in life, it's nothing in comparison to what Jesus had to go through. But understand that the reason he went through the cross is not because he enjoys pain. He went to the cross because there was a greater purpose. No athlete wakes up in the morning like, I just love waking up at 5 a.m., you know? That's just my thing, you know? No, they do it for a greater purpose. You wake up and you show up to work not because you really enjoy showing up to, unless you're one of those people, because I know some of you, you wake up really early. 
there's a lot of things that we do, not because we really enjoy it, but because there's a greater purpose. I don't know, paycheck, a career, right? Like there's a bigger thing behind it. Right, so this is what I want to touch on today. And last week we touched about Gideon. And if you remember anything from last week, we talked about how Gideon was a nobody. And God raised him from a place of weakness to a place of strength. Today I want to talk to you about a different character or a different person in the Old Testament. His name is Samson. You're going to find him in Judges um, 13 to 16, about four chapters or so. And he actually had the opposite he went from strength to weakness. So regardless of how you feel when he came in this place, if you are completely insecure about who you are in Christ, it's okay. There are people like Gideon, okay? God can raise you up from a place of weakness to strength. And if you are like Gideon, uh, I'm sorry, if you're like Samson, prideful and arrogant, and, uh, you know, someone that doesn't learn very well, and uh, there's so many other things, I actually know a person like that. I saw him this morning in the mirror. It was great. Um, <laughs> seriously, like if you are in the place of, of just struggle and weakness, God can come in your life and raise you up. But if you're in the place of pride, in a place of, hey, I got this, then maybe this morning is a place for you to understand that maybe you don't got this and we have to rely on him daily. That is kind of the point of the, the message for the day. So um, if you have your Bibles, again, open to Judges. Now, we've mentioned last week that the book of Judges is almost a book of brokenness. It's a book of almost defeat because we've talked last week how it was kind of like A, B, C, D, E of, of kind of a broken cycle of apostasy. And there was bondage. Right? And after that came a confession or a crying out, and then God would deliver them. And there was another time of ease, which would go back into apostasy. And these cycles go on and on and on and on. And I wish to tell you that the last judge, Samson, was any better, but he was not. And we start reading that right, right off the bat in chapter 13. It says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named uh, Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. So right off the bat, when we look at this passage, it starts out kind of depressing already. Right? Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. That's a long time to be under oppression. In those, names, in those days, a man, uh, a man named uh, Manoah was there from the tribe of Dan. You know what's interesting here? Is that in every single cycle before, it says that again, they did evil, they fell into bondage, and they cried out. The problem here is we don't really see a crying out. And you will see later on, it says that God is going to raise up Samson. And he says, it doesn't say that he'll deliver Israel. He says he will begin to deliver Israel. So in a sense, uh, Samson fails 
at his life mission. He, he begins to deliver. He doesn't fully deliver. And you know why? Because there's no crying out. Well, this passage right off the bat tells us that there is no deliverance without repentance. So right off the bat, we, we see that it's a bad start, but then there's a promise that, that, that there was a, a, a man, his name is Manoah, he was from a tribe of Dan, says his wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children, the angel of the Lord, and every single time you hear this phrase, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, a lot of scholars point that this could be, and a lot of times is, a reference to actually Jesus himself. He says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah, uh, Manoah's wife rather, and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful, you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must, be, uh, must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Pil uh, Philistines. So this is promise that there will be a child that will change things or well, at least he'll begin to change things. So, so you must not eat any grapes. And if you know anything about the vow of a Nazarite, a lot of people would take this vow for a certain amount of time. Like, like with our church, we fast a lot of times, right? Well, this was, it was a thing that people d did where they took a vow as a Nazarite for a specific kind of time to not drink alcohol or touch anything that is dead or cut their hair. But when we see here, here the agent, a angel of the Lord tells them that this child will be dedicated unto the Lord from the time of the, his birth. Literally from the time he was brought into this world. So parents, if you have kids and you've been bringing them into the house and, and, and the, the church has been praying for you, that's an amazing thing. Dedicating your kids to the Lord is an amazing thing. And this is what's happening here where this specific child will bring deliverance, not fully, but will begin to bring deliverance. But that's not, when we look at his life, we don't fully see this really coming about right away. Have you ever been so blinded at times and even though you had your eyes open? Have you ever looked for something and it was hiding in plain sight? If you've worked on a car before and you're looking for the socket number 10, you know what I'm talking about. You, you look over and over and over and over and you just can't see it. Uh, this week, um, I was at a cabin and I couldn't find my comb because I woke up in the morning, did my hair, and then I went back to sleep because that's what you do when you're at a cabin, right? Like, and I just could not find it for like two days straight. And I'm thinking like, I'm, well, friends I was with, they didn't even know that I was looking for a comb the whole time. But regardless, I was just looking for it until the last day we're about to leave and I'm cleaning up and it's just sitting there on the floor. And I'm like, how? How was it there? How was it hiding in plain sight? How was I so blind to this? We do it all the time. Sometimes, you know, especially if you're lazy, like you're looking on the floor and you're like, what else can I do when I'm here? Right? Like you're, you're constantly looking, but you can't see it. And, and here you have Samson having this amazing promise and he doesn't get it right away. He doesn't see it. He doesn't see that every single action that he is doing will affect this amazing promise. And he should probably 
Start following the Lord. Start obeying the Lord. Now, I know that's a word that we don't say in the house a lot. And I think, especially in modern day Christianity, we are scared of the word obey. We are scared of the word obedience. But I, can't, I can tell you this, that godly obedience leads to freedom. Disobedience leads to bondage. So it, obedience is not really fun when you do it, but you should. Because if you're obviously not, you shouldn't be obeying everything. I'm talking about godly obedience, obeying God. And, and Samson does, doesn't really fully understand this because he has three things with his life that he shouldn't be doing. That is cut his hair, right, first. Second is not to drink any wine or anything of grapes, right? So no uh, grape juice for you, <laughs> right? Like, um, and the last one is not to touch anything that is dead. And then there was one, another one that was sort of kind of understood. He, you should not marry the Philistines. And the reason you shouldn't marry Philistines is not because God is racist, but because the Philistines did not worship like the Israelites did. So this is not like, oh, they're just different kind of people. No, they were worshiping pagan gods. So this was a spiritual separation. And, 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 and he was a Nazarite. If, any, if anyone was going to be uh, someone that is holy, you'd think it should be the judge of Israel, the leader of the Israelites. Right, so th that's the only thing that he has to do is, is to make sure that, you know, he stays with his own lane. So, you know, if you've been thinking about marrying an unbeliever, this is a really good lesson for you. Stop. You can marry Russian, American, Ukrainian, Moldovian, any of them. Just don't marry an unbeliever because the Bible makes it very clear. Do not be unequally yoked with someone that is not of the same sort of direction of life as you are. Well, but you don't know him how I, I know him. He doesn't have a job, you know, like he, he doesn't serve in the church. He doesn't love the Lord. I know him enough. Like those are some major red flags. They don't worship the way you do. Meaning that they don't worship the same God because obviously we have different styles. I'm not talking about style here. Are they worshiping the Lord? But that's not what Gideon does. I mean, you're going to see it really quick and, Judges 14, when as he grows up and he is thinking about getting a wife for himself, he says one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistines' women caught his eye. That's uh, slang for he thought she was hot. Um, when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistines, Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in the tribe of, uh, or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good in my eyes. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> um, she looks good in my eyes or she looks good to me. Do you see any problem with that? Does she look good in God's eyes? Does she look good to you? Samson, you're blind. Samson, you, don't, you can't see. 
And this is the beginning of your undoing. You know you shouldn't be messing around with the Philistines. They're, they are your oppressors. Not only that, but they serve a different God. And that will lead to at least apostasy. And then the worst, a complete walking away and prostituting yourself with other gods. You need to stop. This is enough, enough of a red flag, and, but he can't see it. And I think a lot of times, I think it's so easy to look back, and I think we call it chronological snobbery, right? Like when you look back at the time, like, ah, oh, Simpson, so dumb. <laughs> you, we do it all the time. That's us. Like, we, we do this constantly. No, but, 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 you know, that's just how I feel. That's just kind of, it just looks good to me. Does it look good, good to, I mean, does it look good to God? Why do we call entertainment what God called sin? Why do we do these things thinking that it's okay? Because I, I feel okay. If you, if you go by your feelings, oh boy. If you go by your feelings, good luck. I love this, this uh, song. I think the, the band is called Soul Savers. And they have a song called Revival. And one of them is just sort of saying this. And in the song says, why am I so blind with my eyes right open. And then he says, but you can, I can't wash my hands in dirty water. Right? Like if you, if you're gonna get your hands in water that's not clean, you will get dirty. And the reason we're so blind with our eyes wide open is because the prince of this age blinded the eyes of the people, meaning Satan has blinded us. So I think the, the struggle of our generation, of any generation really, is the struggle to see. To see that the way we're going is not the way we should be going. And unfortunately, a lot of times we see a bit too late. Now God is graceful, and I've seen it so many times in the Old Testament, New Testament, and even in the modern day times, where God is graceful enough to give us a, a chance to repent at the end of our lives, but we don't need to, to get to our, the end of our lives to see. We can just do it right now. So I, I want to play for you a video, and this is a video from a movie called The Amazing Grace. This is a story about um, a, a guy, his name was John Newton, you might not ring a bell for you right now, but just hang on a second. If you ever heard the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, he wrote that. And he lived in a time of slavery, and he was a slave trader, traded some 20,000 slaves. A lot of them died in the process. Until God raised up a young politician, his name was William Wilberforce. And then John Newton changed his life around. It was actually Jesus changing his life. And he became a preacher. But these 20,000 slaves that he's been trading, he walked away from that. And I think what's so amazing, this, this song that he wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Uh, how sweet the sound. And there's a line that says, I once was blind, but now I see. The interesting thing is that he actually was able to see, but spiritually he was blind. And later on in, li in life, he was physically blind, 
but spiritually he could see. And when we look at the life of Samson is that when he is in his strength, when he is the, if there's anyone who can deliver the people of, of Israel from the, the hands of the Philistines, you'd be Samson. But he's so enamored by his own lusts and pursuit. He is so in doing things over and over and constantly pursuing things that are kind of pointless. What do I want? And, you, and if you read through these four chapters, you see how many times he gets so angry. Now, there's good reasons why he gets angry. But he starts off on the wrong foot. So then it says that he decides he's going to take this wife from Timnah knowing that this is not, you know, a thing that she should be doing. And then we see, and I, I believe in chapter uh, 15, um, it's actually still 14 and verse 8 says this, later, um, as Samson, verse 5, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vi- uh, vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So think about this, like he is pursuing all this, but the, the, the spirit of the Lord keeps on coming over him. Still fulfills him. And the question then becomes, why? Why would God empower someone that is selfish, prideful, that doesn't care about doing what God has called him to do? Why would God do this? You know why? Because the people of Israel, uh, of Israel, they were blind. They're in bondage and it doesn't bother them. Think about this. They are in bondage for 40 years and God wants to deliver them, but they're not crying out. So God is, in, a, in essence, God is stirring up some trouble. You know, because... It, at the beginning, um, I think it was verse uh, when when he goes up to his parents says, "Get her, get her for me," and her her you know his parents are really kind of against it, and then there's a line in there that says that you know they didn't know that was the Lord's doing. God is stirring up a a, a little bit of trouble here because he understands that living in bondage is not a good thing. Let me put it in a way that we can understand. Have you ever made peace with your sin? Have you had an addiction and it didn't bother you? Those are the moments you should really watch out for. Because you see, repentance is granted to us by the Holy Spirit. And if God is making you feel convicted, that's a good thing. You should really worry if you don't feel convicted. If you are going the way you're going in sin and it doesn't bother you, you should really wonder what's, what's, what's happening because this is, this is what's happening here. Well, God is like, this is not okay. You guys are just trying to appease the Philistines. I created you to be free people, but you got to a point in your sin, in your rebellion, that you are okay with oppression. So God is stirring up something here. He says, at the moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaw apart with his bare hands. He did, did this as easily as if 
it were a young goat, which makes me really wonder, like, do people just rip goats apart back in the day? Like, I don't get it. Like, it's such an odd thing. Like, like it was, I'm pretty sure ripping a goat apart is pretty hard. Like, and he just kind of like, oh, it was just as easy as a goat. I'm like, no, that's pretty, pretty difficult. <laughs> but like, you can see, and I think a lot of people have this idea that Gideon was just really muscular, but that's not, I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think he was really, um, um, like, had a lot of muscles. I think it was more that he was just strong. Because think about this, if he actually looked like that, if he actually looked like he was um, swole, <laughs> that's the better word I can tell you, right? Like, if he actually looked like he was uh, all built up, right? Delilah wouldn't ask him, like, where's your, where's your strength com- coming from? Right? Like, you'd be obvious, the guy is huge. So when, he, when the Bible says that he ripped apart a lion, it was the Holy Spirit coming upon him and him being able to do this. But he didn't tell his father and mother about this. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Uh, verse 8, later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found a swarm of bees um, had made some honey inside of the carcass. Well, in the carcass. He scooped some honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother and he ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. So, do you remember that vow of a Nazarite? He's not supposed to touch anything dead. So first he goes and takes himself, well, he wants to take himself a wife from the Philistines. The second thing that he doesn't care for is keeping his kind of Nazarite sort of vows. And, and he goes and he starts to scoop honey out of a carcass of a dead lion, which again, sounds extremely gross and disgusting, but like apparently it was sweet because he gave it to his parents, which anyway, like think about this. He touches Something that he is not, I think the bigger story here is that his whole life, he's not supposed to touch anything that is dead, but then he does it, and it just doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother him. He goes on to say that as his father is making his final ar- ar- arrangements in marriage, Samson threw a party in Timnah, as it was custom for the elite w- young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his compa- uh, companions. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. <laughs> this is things that are getting interested. interesting. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, I will give you 30 fine lin- linens of uh, robes and 30 sets of festive uh, clothing. But if you cannot solve it, where you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen uh, robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, out of the uh, one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came, t- uh, came something sweet. Three days later, they, they were still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to his Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, where we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Listen, Philistines are not people you, pray, uh, you play with, but uh, to me, it, it's just so amazing the fact that you're okay with taking a woman from the enemy and it, none of this is bothering. They're willing to burn down because a riddle? It, this, uh, this is insane. 
so Samson, well, maybe it was the clothing, but still, clothing, burning down somebody's house. So Samson's wife came to him in tears, said, you don't love me, you hate me. You have, I'm sure she said it like that, okay. <laughs> you have given me, um, well, giving my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my father or, or uh, mother. He replied, why, shouldn't I tell, why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for, for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, that's a long, long crying. Seven days, that's, that's some long bachelor party with a lot of crying in it. He told uh, her the answer because she was tormenting him, uh, and the word there is nagging. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then she explained the riddle to the young man. So before the sun set on the seventh day, the man of the town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than, lion, than the lion? Samson replied, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Which, there are two lessons there. Don't call your wife a heifer, which is a young cow. Um, that's just, that's, I mean, this is the Bible, guys. This is not something I'm making up, right? Like, the second thing is that, what was my second thing? You wouldn't have, and the second thing is, <laughs> don't, don't allow people to mess with your wife. Um, anyways, I don't, I don't know if you can draw much out of it. I think it was more about the way he it was so brash with his words. This is your fiance, Samson. This is the one who Solomon said that, you know, I found the one right, that my, my, my heart loves. The way you're addressed, like what in the world? She's not your property. I mean, I know a lot of people like, well, Samson, you know, it's not such a bad, he's a, when I look at stuff like this, and I'm like, the stuff that he says, and the stuff that he does, at least for this part, I can't really respect him for it. Calling your fiance those names, and Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time here, but, but, but we see what kind of character he has. I think it's time for God to walk in and break him. Every single time you talk to someone, they're like, you know what, I'm going to have a, bin a ministry bigger than yours. I usually just look at that, I'm like, oh, the Lord has not been broken you yet. Oh, the Lord has not really worked on you yet. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. And this is what, start to see the unravel of this, and Gideon just gets on a rage, and he walks to a different town, 26 miles, so about a 52-mile kind of like road trip, and he's, he's mad the whole time. He kills some 30 Philistines, gets their clothing, comes back and throws it, and it's just, it turns and just, things just keep on escalating, and you can go and read the whole chapter, but, you know, he brings these, these clothes, and, and um, the next time he comes over to, you know, he says, I, he, he came with the lamb, and he says, can I go and sleep with my wife, the one that I married, you know, and his dad's like, oh, I thought you hated us, and you hated her, so I gave your wife to your best friend. Like, what? So he goes on a rage. Like, I mean, he's just like, what is going on, right? 
You know, he goes and kills a whole bunch of Philistines, and then these Philistines comes and burn down the house. So the things that he was trying to prevent is actually happening now, and burns, you know, his, you know, wife with everything. Well, now, no longer his wife, because he was given, it, it's really a messy family here. But like, like, this just keeps on escalating. And then the Philistines come and says, okay, well, we're going to go and, and, and chase them down. And they come to Israelites, and the Israelites are like, what do you, what do you guys want from us? And they're like, well, Samson killed a whole bunch of our people. And these are like, like, you know what? We will tie him up and bring him to you. What in the world? This is your deliverer. Are you so okay with the, your sin and your apostasy and you, that you're, you are willing to betray your deliverer? You are more okay with having the Philistines appeased? That you're willing to trade your own? But Sam's like, okay, let's do this. They tie him up and, and, and they bring him. And the moment they try to kill him, this guy breaks everything. You know the story. And uh, <laughs> he kills about a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey, which is a dead thing again, Samson. And then he writes a song about it. With a jawbone of a donkey, I killed a thousand men. Oh, whoop to do! He's so great. That's awesome. Where's God in this whole thing? Well, things escalate even even worse, right? Judge, uh, Judges 16 says, um, four says, sometimes later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. But before even that. In 16.1, it says, One day Samson went to Philistine's town of uh, uh, Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Okay? Are you that, like, are you that, with your, are you so in bed with your sin that this doesn't bother you? Word soon spread that Samson was there, so the man of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of the morning comes, we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed until midnight. Then he got up, took a hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two uh, posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across Hebron. What's the lesson there? I don't know. Just looks cool. Like, he literally picked up the, the gates and carry them. So he's like, you know what? I got this. Physically, he has strength. He has, you know, his, he thinks so much of himself. But reckoning is coming. Like, this is, this is leading up to something. And it, it, chapter 16 is, is very depressing. It says one day, uh, verse number, um, sometime later, uh, verse number four says, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. And there's the whole story that everyone knows about. Who lived in the valley of Sorek, the rulers of Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how can he be uh, overpowered and tied up securely? Then each of us will give you a thousand and a hundred pieces of silver. They went and were trying to buy her and she agrees. She's a gold digger is what I'm trying to say. Samson, Delilah doesn't love you. Samson, your idol, not paying the price back. 
He doesn't care about you, Samson. You'd think he'd get the point, no? So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you securely. Those are not romantic words. Like, what is going, like how blind can you be? How can I tie you up securely? Like how can I bind you? Like what were you thinking? Please tell me what makes you so strong. And what would, tie, what would take to tie you securely? Samson said, if I were to be tied up with seven bow, new bow strings then, um, that have not been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistines rule of rulers brought Delilah seven new bow strings and she tied Samson up. Um, she had hidden some man in one of the inner rooms of her house and she cried out. Now, you, if you think this is dumb, I mean, the lesson here is uh, apparently women make people, well, I think this kind, this, this, this kind of girlfriend makes men stupid. Because I wish to tell you this was one time, it was four times. Like how dumb do you have to be where she hides someone in the house or maybe you're so in bed with your sin that maybe you just kind of like, like the little thrill. No problem, I'll get up and I'm just gonna break away. I've done it three times before. I think the sad part about this is there is a point when the grace does run out. There is a, there is a place where you can't turn back. When somebody just overdosed, you can't bring that back. When your family just fell apart, you can try to make restitution, but it's gonna haunt you for a very long time. There will be a time. Now God is gonna do everything that he can to lead you to repentance, and, and this is what's happening here. Then Delilah said, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me, how can you be tied up securely? Samson replied, if you're to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric, uh-huh, no, no, it goes on and on and on. And Delilah's getting more frustrated, you know, because she does that and he wakes up and he just breaks everything. And then finally, verse 15 says, then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me you love me or I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? Does that, does that sound sinister or what? Y you've made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you strong. She tormented him with her nagging day in and day, uh, day after day until he, uh, he uh, was sick to death of it. He was sick to death of it. You know how there's a saying that says the opportunity knocks? I think temptation is more like, yeah, opportunity knocks, but temptation leans on the doorbell and it just doesn't go away, right? This is what's happening here. It's one thing to say, I'm not gonna do the sin now, but temptation doesn't work like that. It, it, it constantly, it's kind of like someone leaning on your doorbell. It's just extremely annoying. And that's why we see in the New Testament so many times, says, flee from sexual immorality. It doesn't say, okay, how, how much can you stand it? It doesn't say resist it. It says that about the enemy, Resist the devil and he will flee. But here, he doesn't really get the picture that you, you can't be doing this. You know, and he finally tells her. 
You know, it's, it's amazing to me that he doesn't see this, that she doesn't love him back. It's all a show. And it's so easy to look at this and say, I'm like, come on, get it together, bro. Like, what's going on with you? But I think so many times we do exactly the same thing. We serve our idols, and it's costing us so much. I remember this one father was telling a story how her daughter, I mean, his daughter came home and said, hey, I want to move in with my boyfriend. And, and her father looked at him and said, have you, have you considered how much this idol is going to cost you? He might cost you my relationship with you. Idols, all they do is they take. They don't love you. They don't give back. The only give back they'll do is to entice you more. And, and this is what I love about, you know, you know in, in Hebrews 12, it talks about that since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Another word says entangles us. So sin is not just something that you do and you walk away from. It entangles you. It trips you up. It might take you some time to get back on your feet is what I'm trying to say. But then the caution here is not just to stay away from sin. It also says strip away every weight that's holding you back. Things that maybe are not sinful, but they're not helpful. Things that maybe you think, oh, it's no big deal, but they are because they lead to sin. If you've been enjoying alcohol, I, I choose not to drink. The reason for that is not necessarily that I think theologically is wrong and all that. You know, we can have a whole sermon, a series on that. But I think that alcohol mi mixed with anything doesn't usually turn out very well. You might, might theologically say, oh, it's not, a, you know, it's not a sin. I can do this and that or that or that. I just say, is it helpful though? Well, it just gives me more confidence to go and talk to someone. Have you seen a drunk person? That is not confidence. That's being obnoxious. They think they're confident, but they're blind fools if you think that's confidence. You're not, it's like, you're not tricking anyone here. Everyone knows you're drunk. Go home. Not helpful. I'm not trying to make light of this. It's, it's important. Things that maybe are not sinful, but they're not useful, and they can entangle you or trip you up. And this is, maybe Delilah wasn't, you know, such a bad idea because he's dated some Philistine before, and in his mind maybe it didn't sound like a bad idea. But he knew she was a Philistine. She knew that four times she tried to betray him. And this is where probably is one of the most kind of kind of like depressing parts of the story. Judges 16, 17, finally Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I dedicated to God, I am dedicated, what I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistines' rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he um, has finally told me his secret. So the Philistines' rulers 
returned with the money in their hand. Delilah lulled, or lulled rather, Samson to sleep with his head on her lap. And then she called in a man, this is very strange, to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began, uh, began to bring him down and his strength left him. Then she cried out to him, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize, but he didn't realize, he didn't realize that the Lord left him. That is the most depressing line in this whole passage. When you don't realize that the Lord has left you. So the Philistines captured him and gouged at his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Does that sound like the destiny that you were so looking forward to. You see, a little compromise leads to big bondage. Disobedience leads to bondage. Because you failed to God, uh, obey godly or godly authorities, like your parents. His voice led you here. Blind. But if you've ever been here, Maybe not physically blind, but when you are at your lowest, you know that the only way you can go is up. You can't go any lower than that. And God's saying, you know what? Finally, now I can really work with you now. Now I can actually. So, so it ends with this most, one of the most depressing things, right? That they took him to Gaza and they, he was in prison. He was, he was kind of like grinding grain. But then hope comes. It says, but before long, his hair began to grow back. This, this is the hope. They maybe can grieve the Holy Spirit. But if you are in your lowest, your hair can grow. The Holy Spirit can come back and raise you up once again. What I'm trying to tell you is God can extend to you grace again. He's at his lowest. It says that, but before long, his hair began to grow back. He had to go around that grain grinder for a while to realize that the way he's going is not exactly, you know, to a destination. He's in a cycle. He had to realize that and he had to break that. And here's the good news, says verse 23, and I'm going to close here very soon. I'm going to call it to prayer. It says, the Philistines' rulers had a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon, which is an idol. Our God has given us victory over the enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us in na is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson. He can amuse us. So he was brought from prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between two uh, the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest them uh, against them. And the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistines' rulers were there, were there and they were about 3,000 men and women. And the roof, uh, who were on the roof, 
who were watching Samson amuse, uh, amusing them or amuse them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hand on the two pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed on the Philistines' rulers and all the people. So he killed more people with when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Later, his brother and the relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him in Zora, in, um, where, in Ishtal, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. And here's my call to prayer for you. Samson was not able to deliver. He started but he was unable to finish. Now, this is not a story of us saying, well, be like Samson, learn your lesson faster though, right? Like that's not the point of this. The point of this is that Samson was just a flawed type of Jesus Christ himself. They have a lot of things in common, really. Their birth being foretold, you know, we see that they were both, you know, kind of like separated. Samson with a vow of a Nazarite. Jesus separated unto, unto the Lord for the Lord's work. They both, you know, went to the cross. The difference though, you know, Samson went to the cross where his cross was literally dying in front of a whole bunch of Philistines, being shamed by being the great Samson, the big, powerful Samson, now is being led by a boy. It was embarrassing. His cross moment was his death. He killed some Philistines, but he didn't deliver. He began to deliver. But Jesus finished the work on the cross. Jesus Fought. Now, Philistines are, are a representation of the enemy who came and, and maybe bound up your family, you, in addictions. Maybe you've been uh, like Gideon, uh, your weakest, and God raised you up, but then you got prideful and you made an ephod and, 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 and kind of like to just kind of continue your legacy instead of Christ and, and sort of that became another problem for you. Or maybe you're like Samson, who you are, you know, the people in high school that is most likely to be the president. You know, the people that are most likely to win, you know, the championship, and then you meet him 30 years later with a beer belly, and you're like, what happened to you? Right? What happened to you, what happened to them is, is life happened to them. And a little bit of compromise here, be it in their health, be it in this or that, a little compromise here. And then I'm not here to body shame or, or, or saying, I'm just saying that little compromises that we've made along the way lead us to this great tragedy. But the hope of the Bible is Jesus has never compromised. And he went to the cross not for his sins, but for our sins, for my sins and your sins. And he was able to deliver, which no other judge, no other deliverer could deliver. He was a, ba he was a, he was a better Gideon. He, he is, he's a better Samson. He, he's a better David. He's better than all those. So if you have not made Jesus 
as Lord and Savior of your life, my question to you is, what are you waiting for? How's this going for you? You might think you're fine. But we, 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 we all know how this ends. You might even be one of those really good people. But you'll still have to give yourself an answer for what happens after death. So, I want to read one more time, Hebrews 12. says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every single weight and slow us down, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary in giving up and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. I want to call you to prayer and say this, that put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your, uh, of your faith. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.